Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where my guests tell me the five things from their life that they would choose to put into a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and want to keep safe, but they also pick one thing that they'd like to forget, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. I'm delighted to say that my guest in this episode is the first politician we've had on My Time Capsule. She's one of the Green Party's representatives on the London Assembly and has stood as the Green Party candidate in three London mayoral elections, sadly without becoming mayor. Sean Berry was co-leader of the Green Party of England and Wales alongside Jonathan Bartley from 2018 to 2021 and its sole leader from July to October 2021. She's also a Green Party councillor on Camden Council, representing Highgate. Sean joined the Green Party aged 27 when working as a medical copywriter for a large pharmaceutical company, which she decided was a conflict with her principles. In her first major party political role as the Green Party campaign's coordinator, Sean led the Green Energy Works campaign, calling for low-carbon non-nuclear energy to tackle climate change. She also led a campaign against the renewal of Britain's nuclear weapon, the Trident submarine. And Sean is the author of a number of books, including 50 Ways to Greener Travel, 50 Ways to Be a Greener Shopper, 50 Ways to Save Water and Energy, and 50 Ways to Make Your House and Garden Greener. She's also published Mend It, although I wish it was called 50 Ways to Mend It, and Junk for Joy on upcycling projects. So that's some of the things Sean Berry has done in her extraordinary career. And you can expect, as Ben Elton used to say, a little bit of politics in this episode. Well, quite a lot of politics, but mostly from me, actually. Just so you know, we recorded this episode after Liz Truss had resigned. Ah, poor Liz. But before Rishi Sunak had become Prime Minister. But here is the future Prime Minister, hopefully, Sean Berry. (laughs) 
You're my first politician. Isn't that exciting? I was going to say that. Um, what's, <laughs> what's all that about? You're branching out into politics. Well, I am branching out into politics. Well, the problem is I spend a lot of time on the podcast talking to people about politics. And, you know, some people agree with me and some people don't. Yeah. But uh, so, in fact, it is quite political, I think. Well, everything is. That's that's the thing, isn't it? Everything so, is political, yeah. indeed. And it seems sensible that if I'm going to talk to somebody in politics, that I should talk to somebody from the one party that at the moment particularly seems to be talking some sense. There you go. We've always talked sense, but particularly <laughs> these days, I think we need a bit more listening to. Yeah, it's a funny old world at the moment, I'm afraid. Um, who knows what is going on? And we're all gearing up for a general election right now, basically. So. Yes, well, hopefully. They only really need to lose a vote of confidence, don't they? Which um, I wonder if they ever will. I wonder if the people who are the MPs for the Tory party have the nerve to vote against their own party. Well, they know they'd be voting for Christmas in a lot of cases, so that mm. is probably not going to happen. Um, but, the, you know, there are some issues where the, like, the good of the country really does come into it. And that's partly, you know, I think that's partly why the, the fracking vote was brought, because that is something on which many Conservatives have been very strong for, for some time now. And to mm. try and row back on that against their wishes was a thing that... I think, you know, they wanted to force a vote to show people the difficulty we're now in, where the party that governs is actually split into several factions. Well, I mean, it's always been strange. The two-party system seems to have worked for a long time because you get reasonably moderate groups of people going into power with slight differences of opinion, but generally not a great divide. Although, you know, I mean, the Michael Foote period, I remember, and then, of course, Margaret Thatcher. So they jump about a bit, don't they? But generally there would be a sense of agreement across the floor. Yes. But at the moment, the division between groups is ridiculous and within groups. Yes, exactly. And and the, the whole the whole idea of having um, essentially a two-party system is that each of those parties is a big tent. The actual goal of politics is not to have arguments. I know people people see, you know, like things like Question Time create this impression that the idea is to have extreme points of view that, that, that are vying against each other. Actually, no, the idea of politics is to create space, a peaceful, civilised, rule-based space in which ideas can compete, but also where you're seeking to reach consensus. Absolutely. And this is completely forgotten about in our sort of media age where extreme points of view get really highlighted. And it's really frustrating. And that's why, you know, I don't understand people opposing proportional representation versus best past the post. Because in a proportional system, just to really do politics for a moment, um, each party gets to honestly say what its point of view is. We go into the mix, we get the right amount of votes and the right amount of seats. And Mm -hmm. then... We are made to work together to come to a consensus and a compromise or whatever it is to to reach the right decision for the country. And the way that politics is organised as a kind of bun fight between two sides doesn't foster that kind of attitude at all. Whereas proportional representation does. And you see that I work on the London Assembly. Exactly, yeah. We're a small party, the Greens in general, but on that body, we got 13% of the vote. We've got three out of the 25 members. We've got essentially holding the balance of power a little bit and people listen to us. Our ideas make it through the mix. And (laughs) overall, it's a very civilised place to work. And that is not the same as the House of Commons in any way. No, but it's weird, isn't it, that, that people are so vehemently against the idea, oh, we can't possibly have that in this country. That's that's sort of Italy, and look at the chaos they're in. That's for every other country, more or less, apart from a handful. <laughs> but look at the chaos we're in, because we yeah. can't get one party to agree with each other. 
Yeah. And where the chaos isn't even out in the open, it's all in these like, you know, back rooms and secret committees and things. Mm. Whereas under PR, you know, you can have your Brexit party and all of that arguing for things and the, you know, the Greens arguing for ecology. And we're all honest about what our platforms are. We're not trying to pretend that, that mm. we're something we're not. And I think that's that's actually healthy. Yeah. People have to listen to those other opinions because they don't have the power, the, the singular power that they would do in a way that the Tory party have had over the last 12 years or so. That gives them the position that if they do want to go down the road of Liz Truss and put in what is a policy based on a dogma, really, yeah, they can. Although the markets have said, no, you can't. Yes, exactly. I mean, you can't fool reality. You know, you can't pretend things are different than they are. And those policies were were wrong, were were incorrect. They were never going to lead to what they said, even in their own terms. They don't work out. And that was just shown up in quick order after they tried to implement them. And it isn't even a constructive way of doing it, just reducing taxes for the most rich people in the hope that they might do the right thing. You could be creating lots more jobs and, and more economic activity i don't i mean growth is not really the point but you do want people to have things to do um and you want you want people to be able to make a living and and that you could get that through green policies investment you know borrow but borrow to invest in something for the future the markets won't judge that harshly but borrowing to do tax cuts for the rich the market just was like well that's irrational so (laughs) we'll sell the pound then (laughs) yes and you use the word growth it's interesting how that the anti-growth coalition has been thrown about as if it was some sort of insult, as if the worst thing you could possibly be is not in favour of growth. And in fact, I've never quite understood, ever since I was a young man, I thought, well, surely that's got an inbuilt flaw, hasn't it? Which is that you can't possibly keep growing forever. Yeah, we live on a finite planet. And the right way to manage that is to live within our resources means. Um, and the the basic premise of, of a lot of the capitalism we've seen is to have as, as big a throughput of stuff as possible. Mm. And never mind how much of it is just wasted and ends up being waste and, you know, buried in the ground or dumped in the sea and all of those kinds of things. But that was always, always going to be found out by the very physics of living on a planet that's contained. There's, there's yeah. no way so you can't just throw things away at the end of the day you've got to come up with ways of doing you know supporting people having jobs and economic activity that doesn't result in all of that waste Mm. and it seems to me that already without any growth as a world we produce enough income for everybody to be quite well off there's enough money even it's loads of it (laughs) yeah there's loads of it. People have got it under their beds. They've got so much. They don't know what to do with it. Elon Musk could just throw it in the air all day long and he'd still have too much. Yeah, there is such a thing as enough um, for one person to have. And that doesn't seem to be the premise of the current model of capitalism either. So, no. Yeah. Isn't it a concept, though, that really all of us need to start accepting, I think, that we all need to start saying, when is enough enough? When do I have enough? It's one of the great advantages of growing older. For me, as you grow older, you start thinking, actually, I've got loads of things. I I don't need them at all. You know what? People are lovely on the whole. I don't like to characterise, you know, no, oh, we're no. all we're all too selfish and all of that. And then loads and loads of older people who've, who've reached that perspective um, later in life and are now being super generous with their time and with their money and their resources and, mm. and thinking about their legacy. And, and not everybody needs to spend their whole life just acquiring more. At a certain point, you're like, well, I could carry on striving to collect more things and stuff, but actually maybe I'll do something different. Yeah. And that's, you know, possibly the circles I move in. I know an awful <laughs> lot of people who are like that and they're, they're a delight. 
I mean, that's not just a thing that's reserved for the old. There are millions of young people who are doing extraordinary things. Yeah, and people in their teens and 20s now, they they are looking ahead and seeing that they could not, you know, there's, there's no world in which they can follow the path of their grandparents, simply just like not caring about the world and just just trying to get those careers and, and acquire that stuff. You know, even if they wanted to, that wouldn't work out for them. Um, so they are thinking, well, how do I need to change the world in order to make a future possible for me what kind of future do I want and they're thinking really deeply about it I I see a lot of young people in in schools I visit quite a lot um in universities we've got a brilliant branch of the greens called the young greens Mm -hmm. um and they're doing some of the deepest thinking about this and coming to the conclusion that things need to change very dramatically um in the Mm. future and that is you know greens have not been ever ever been scared to say things need to change dramatically we need to show people that it's practical and you know it's a good life that we'll have in the future and 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 how we get there and that's the part of our job is to show people the way yes and you've been involved in it for a long time but it would be very interesting to look at the things you've chosen to put into a time capsule to see if they reflect that change in your in your life that that movement yeah, this has been really hard to think of because because I'm a politician and I'm like I, this is why I've been looking through your past podcast to see when you've had anyone else like me on um, to see what sort of things they can get away with picking because you know what I do is this this is my job and I think about mm. this all the time and it's and it's not getting any less urgent or important so yeah you'll find I've tried to keep too much politics out of my choices. <laughs> and try to think about me personally. No, politics is important. As you say, we're all involved in it. Yeah. So I have to ask you a question about this time capsule. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your assumptions about the kind of world that's going to dig it up? <laughs> well, you can either see it as something that you could revisit in your dotage so that things become very personal to you, or you can put it there as a sort of a signal to people that will open it eventually. I don't know. I've had one person who said this is for after the Armageddon, obviously, which is in about 50 years' time, you know. That is a question, definitely. Mm. Um, So what I've tried to do is think of things that I would like to see again um, and preserve. But also, I mean, I'm a really real fan of social history. And as a family, we've been looking upwards and backwards at our ancestors and and trying to dig out bits and pieces about their lives. Yeah, there's 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 not much. Um, I'm like, like most people, I'm not I'm not from lords and ladies and things. So, but but just trying to get a little bit of insight into into how our ancestors lived, and it's always fascinating when you find something like that. So I've tried to sort of leave behind a bit of a record of what people were like now, as well as just my own personal loves and things. Lovely. All right. So, what's the first thing you went for? Okay, so I, I think this is allowed. Um, it's the thing that literally won't fit in a time capsule. <laughs> no, it's um, all right. So um, it is uh, the woods that are behind the school that my dad used to teach at when I was a child. And my dad was a deputy head teacher at what was called a special school at the time. So it wasn't like a big school with hundreds and hundreds of pupils. It was quite a small place in an old country house just outside mm. of Cheltenham, which is where I'm from, up in the up in the hills. And running behind the school in its grounds was a woodland. Mm. And he used to take us there when we were children. And I am not lying to you. And, and I don't have many photographs of us down in those woods. Um, sometimes we used to take photos of us sledging and things like that in the, the little hill that was nearby. 
But I swear to God, this wood was like the wood, the one that you see in like the ladybird books where it says, this is what you might see down at the woods. And it's like, <laughs> here is a fox and here is a squirrel and here are all the kinds of trees. And here is the wildflowers and the different types of wildflowers that you might see and the mushrooms and the insects. It was literally all that. This is like the archetypal ladybird tableau of a wood. There was literally everything down there. And it was so wonderful to be able to be taken out there, you know, at weekends just to have a play around. In the summer, we'd have rare orchids to look at. And, <laughs> and in the um, the autumn, like an enormous variety of different fungi. Like abs- every time we went down there, we're like, what's that? We've not seen that before. Let's draw it, write it down, look it up when we get home. Brilliant. In the winter, when there was snow, you'd have all the footprints. And that really brought home the range of different wildlife that was using that place. You would just be like, wow, what's that then? Um, and there's, there's you know, the amazing badger set. So you could see what the badger, badgers would throw out, all the things they'd been eating. Obviously, they're carnivores, they're bones. Like, oh, what's that? Is that a weasel? Wow. And honestly, this was, you know, this absolutely got me to appreciate nature. And I didn't appreciate at the time how lucky I was to, to do that. You see children these days, you know, um, I live in the middle of London and you see children these days who, who don't know what nature is. They're not, they're not able to recognise different kinds of trees because they so rarely get to go out. And, mm. and obviously, you don't just learn it in one day. I built up all this knowledge of all these different things over over years and years and years. So was it a private wood then, owned by the school? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, like it was the back grounds. Right. And then, well, like I say, it was a country house. So there was... There were also fields which farmers used. So hardly anybody ever went into that wood. Yeah, it was our place. There is a footpath that runs around the edge of it. Obviously, it's the Cotswold, so it's like full of footpaths. Mm. It's right on the Cotswold escarpment kind of area. So I've walked through it many times since my dad left the school because on hikes and things, that's the place you walk through. Yeah. But around the edge of it, I think the wood itself is is private and so very well preserved. Um, but obviously I haven't been there for a very long time and I and I hope it's still the same because mm. obviously biodiversity has taken a hammering and there I go making a point. But um, <laughs> it is still the thing I'd, I'd love to take that word from the late 70s, early 80s and just keep it because it, it is exactly the perfect demonstration of like the English woodland. Yeah, your little Narnia. Yeah, basically, like totally Enid Blyton, you know, all of that. <laughs> Brilliant. What sort of specialism was your father's school? It was um, for children excluded from normal schools right. or who weren't able to get on in normal schools. So I think they dealt with children with learning difficulties, but also behavioural difficulties in different classes in the school. So oh, how brilliant. Oh, quite early on then, if that's the 70s. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to think. He will have started working there before I was born, I think. That's quite innovative at that time, I think. You know, there are more and more schools like that now because people have realised the need for it. Mm. My son, who's the producer of this podcast, was a school refuser, they called him, which sounds as if it's all his fault. But actually, he he just couldn't go to school. He was terrified of it uh, for various reasons. And then he eventually got back into school at a specialist school that was funded amazingly by Mohammed Al-Fayed. So you never know what people are doing in the background, I always think. Interesting. Isn't it a great lesson in life to, to realise that people who are... A man vilified in the press all the time as being only interested in himself and his own money was funding a school for kids who couldn't go to school. 
That's really interesting. Mm. I mean, yeah, there is most rich people do some kind of philanthropy like that. Um, that's that's you know on a larger or smaller scale. I'd rather they just paid more taxes. <laughs> Indeed, and let us decide how <laughs> to spend. Democratically it, yeah. fund these things. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, let's take that beautiful word. It sounds gorgeous, and you know, there's no nicer place than the Cotswolds. So let's put it into the time capsule as the first thing, and it's taken up most of the space. It fits. It fits. Easy. Right. Okay, lovely, Sean. Let's move on to number two. Okay, so I'm taking a very dark turn now. <laughs> I'm very sorry. That's all right. I would like to put into the capsule um, the film Threads, please. Okay. <laughs> Why? You're aware of it. Yeah. Film. I've only seen it once. It's not the sort of film I watch often. You know? I watch it quite often, maybe once a year. Mm. And this makes me quite unusual, I think, because... It's a TV film made by the BBC in the mid-1980s about the aftermath of a massive nuclear war. And it is unremittingly (laughs) the bleakest film ever made. I went to look up the reviews on the the internet database and people are like, (laughs) This is the the bleakest and most distressing film I have ever seen. Um, one of them said it it stares you in the face. Oh, <laughs> it's God. like it stares you down until you succumb to the acceptance that there's no happy ending to any nuclear conflict whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film has a big impact on people when they watch it. Um, it still has a ridiculously high rating. So people recognise its power. And and for something that was made by the BBC for very, very little money in mm. Sheffield in the mid-1980s, it has a really enduring impact on a lot of people. Well, with you, did you see it at the time when it first came out? So at the time, I think, because I was about 10 or 11, but the BBC shows it with willful abandon. Um, and I think I watched the beginning of it. Right. But at some point, my parents will have turned around and gone, this is a bit much, let's send them to bed, basically. <laughs> and I have a really vivid memory of my mum saying to me, and this is because I lived in Cheltenham, and we were within sight out of our house, go around to the edge of the fields, look over them, and you could see all the satellite dishes that they used to have at GCHQ. Mm. So we were within half a mile of GCHQ and mum used to say to me, (laughs) to reassure me, do not worry, when there's a nuclear war, GCHQ will be one of the first things and you'll just be (laughs) vaporised. Oh, that's good, mum. You won't feel a thing, Sean. <laughs> and I have a feeling, so I'm not, this is my memories from when I was child. Um, I have a feeling she was giving that reassurance because I had seen the beginning of Threats. And I think I think they sent us, they said, no, it's all right. They, they, do, they are all okay in the end. I'm pretty sure is what they said to us when they <laughs> told us to stop watching it. <laughs> Don't worry, none of this will happen to you because we'll just be very <laughs> And this was the world we lived in. And it is kind of, you know, it's, it's really useful to remind yourself of just how there isn't any happy ending to the use of nuclear weapons and how mm. they really ought to be got rid of because they're just too high a risk to have in the world. Yep. And it's an extraordinary piece of drama. Everyone in it is amazing. The main actor is, well, I say the main actor, he doesn't last very long, um, <laughs> is, is Rhys Tinsdale, who's brilliant. Mm. And from Huddersfield, where my dad is from. So yeah. we, we have a affinity with him. I have a, um, well, I have a long-term promise from Reese that he's going to come on this when he can find a spare time. 
oh well he must he must he's absolutely excellent mm. and it is just a, a yeah a real achievement and everyone should watch it and too many people have said to me and say in the reviews that I've just been reading I've seen this once and I'm never going to let it near my eyeballs ever again <laughs> <laughs> And I don't think that's right. I think we have to face up to difficult situations like that. And just just ignoring it or trying to put it out of our minds isn't a good thing, actually. We no. have to plan for a better future. And, and if we, we bear in mind what the risk is, that's healthy and good for us. So there'd be a lot of people at the moment who are saying, well, Putin is threatening to use tactical nuclear weapons. Oh, don't. That's, a terrible that's how word, it isn't starts. It? Terrible. That's, that's how, it starts, how it starts in the film. Of course, yeah. yeah. It's just a little one. Just a little one. Yeah. We won't start the whole thing. It'll just be a little one. And of course, how do you react to that well i know how the americans have said they're going to react to it if he does it they've said they will then bomb all the russian facilities but if that starts to happen do you not think then that putin might say okay i'm going to send some bigger ones yeah and and nobody cares about civilians anymore this is you know this has been a shift in the last hundred years even the fact that that wars are now fought on civilians Mm. um we've seen that just in the past week of the way that the the russians have been using the most terrifying drones to to attack cities just to just to terrorize the people and it's you know in military conflicts occasionally they they do need to happen i'm not a complete pacifist but Mm. to bring civilians into it is just the worst and yeah nuclear weapons need to be banned really interestingly though um i found out that quite a lot of the extras in threads are actually members of cnd <laughs> which, uh, next i'd only found that out recently so i'm gonna <laughs> next time i watch it i'm gonna be uh, well done cnd yeah i'm not surprised <laughs> good acting dad so i'm gonna play devil's advocate because i i personally i think i'm going to end up agreeing with you on nearly everything but i'm going to play the devil's advocate of people saying well in that case in order to stop him from using this we have to have this threat we have to have trident as a country we need to have trident we need to have our own nuclear weapons what would be your argument to that sort of point but back again to discussing like belligerent opposites versus working towards consensus aren't Mm, we mm. i mean the right the right process here is to try and bring every country into peaceful cooperative world agreements Mm. um and that is the right thing to do again recently i was um watching a really interesting documentary about eisenhower and how the very last thing he said as he was leaving the presidency was a warning against the military industrial complex because there is within countries there is always going to be an element that wants you to arm yourself to the teeth because there's money in that Mm. and that's basically what he was saying and again that tendency is something you have to work quite hard against because it's very easy to frighten people with a threat and say well in that case we need to increase our protections Mm. and in the process of increasing your protections you're actually making the world more dangerous and then of course uh, as with all those things if your industry is to build something the best way to make a demand for them to be built again is to use them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. To, to, to demonstrate that they're useful every so often is a vital mm. part of this. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I, you know, as a green and um, I march with millions of people to say, let's not attack Iraq because that'll just lead to an escalator. And it, how much money has been spent on weapons that have been exploded in that region since then? It's enormous and, and was completely unnecessary. The, the people of Iraq were perfectly capable of sorting out their own country. Yeah. So, in fact, if anybody doubted our statement earlier, when we said there is enough money in the world for us all to live comfortably. And when I say all, I mean all. I mean all those people in Africa, all those people in desperate poverty in Asia. Yeah, I think there's easily enough in the world Mm -hmm. for us all to live comfortably. And yet we spend huge amounts of it on things that we then just blow up. And why? And if we actually looked um, rationally at where all the money is and where it all goes... 
Um, we would all make different choices. We do. I mean, look at any level and the concentration of wealth is absolutely colossal. Look on a country level, look at the, you know, the concentration of wealth in just a few countries. But then within those countries, the concentration of wealth in just a few hands. Mm. Um, people talk about levelling up within the UK at the moment. but And true, London has more money than the rest of the country and more economic activity. But then you look within London and the, the concentration of wealth within London is off the scale. Mm. So yeah, there's many, many people in poverty in London. And this is yeah, this is the case in 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 every part of society. And we, you know, this this is the way things will go unless you actively work against it. Yeah. In other words, just giving those people more money won't even it up. No. No. No, it will not. No. In fact, the opposite <laughs> might help a little bit. I'm yeah. a big advocate for a basic income where everyone's got the the, the means to be without poverty. Yeah. Um, and that is something that's that, Is that a Green Party policy, just out of interest? Has been for a very long very time. Long yeah, time. we sort of, the Liberals and the Lib Dems had it before us, believe it or not, mm. um, and they kept it for a long time. It's not currently part of their policy, although it may be coming back. Um, but we we had it from the start, from the 1970s when the Greens were formed. It's been part of our platform. Yes. And as a straightforward system, it's very simple and cheap to run, isn't it? One of the great problems with all those sort of benefit system is that they're incredibly expensive to run. A large amount of money we spend on benefits goes in the administration of giving out or denying people those benefits. Yeah. Whereas if you just say everybody gets 10 grand... You just do it. Essentially, yes. And mm. um, no one's had the courage of their convictions really to properly implement this. But we are seeing a big movement across the world. We're seeing some American cities doing it on quite a large scale. There was a trial in Finland that ended up with really good results, um, but quite a small one just looking at replacing unemployment benefits for people who become unemployed. But um, yeah, there's there's so much potential in this idea. Martin Luther King called it a, basically a policy to eradicate poverty, which is just an amazing idea just let's just eradicate poverty indeed what a brilliant idea it is just that, that there we are it's gone and again talking on a world scale you can do that with everybody yeah the wealthier countries have the resources to fund it for them so everybody has that then then if you're talking of growth and spending money and keeping the economy going all these people will spend that money yeah. there was an interesting thing i read the other day that if you give a thousand pounds to somebody who hasn't got any money, that money will be spent eight or nine times. Exactly. So yeah. it's the equivalent of giving eight thousand pounds to somebody who might just put an extension on the pool. Yeah. And, and on a global historical scale, the countries that are the poorest in the world now, we owe them that money anyway, mm-hmm. quite honestly, for all the things we did, we've done in the past. Um, it really, really ought to be done. Yes, yes. Oh, my word. Okay, but first, let's get rid of nuclear So I told you it's taking a dark turn, but you brought us back to hope. This is not dark. This is hopeful, I think. I think we are in a dark place. I think that the world is in a dangerous and dark place, and we need to be absolutely looking at radical ways of changing the way the society is structured and the way we live. Yeah, and we're going to be forced into taking radical steps one way or another, and we can choose which way. It goes. It could turn really, really nasty if we if we aren't on guard. And uh, choosing a better way is, is the way I'd like to do it. Well, we've still got the, the ability to choose. Brilliant. So let's put threads in there then, and everybody can watch it. Let's make everyone in the future watch threads. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, that's two things we've put in, John. So what's next? Okay, time for a short break for some adverts, although I doubt very much any of them will be for fast cars or air travel. Let's see, shall we? Back in a minute. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Welcome back to the second part of my time capsule with the Green Party politician, Sean Berry. Let's find out what else she wants to gift to mankind from her life in her time capsule. Okay, so another cultural item, because that seems to be popular amongst people. Mm -hmm. I would like to put um, into the time capsule my copy of The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. (laughs) Um, Now, this is partly a little bit of a joke because The Handmaid's Tale itself, the book, um, obviously it's now a big TV series, Mm. which goes way beyond this concept. But the book is one of those beautiful little um, constrained bits of fiction. The conceit of it is it was found. It's a found piece of testimony from this period of history, which is obviously fictionalised, where modern societies like ours decided that that women were second-class citizens and amid a fertility crisis caused by pollution, which is quite fun. (laughs) uh, Quite quite nice that they they chose that as the reason. But also this continual warning that feminism could generate enough of a backlash that we are back in essentially... Um, medieval times in terms of attitudes but it's it's such a wonderful book it is it is full of hope the 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 whole plot is the handmaid trying to escape but it's the conceit of it is that they found the testimony in a series of audio tapes cassette tapes in a box so the whole thing is in the first person it's it's snatches of testimony there Mm. are gaps in it and at the end of the book there's a there's a wonderful section a whole epilogue which is future academics talking about what they found and what they think who they think she really was and things like that so that's absolutely wonderful but also I think just a you know an amazing book that everyone everyone should have a read of so Mm. yeah I'd like to put it in a book so they can go wait bit meta this we found a book that's based on some tapes that was supposedly found in a book you know that's why (laughs) she is the most brilliant writer isn't she but I'm a bit worried that if um, if we are looking at this as a society reforming itself that um, it might be found by a bunch of men and they go this is good (laughs) <laughs> I don't think that's the message. I don't no, think I whoever not. reads that into the book. Mind you, I mean, people are taking all kinds of random takes on, on women's rights at the moment. Uh, so who knows what they might interpret it as. But um, yeah, I think it's pretty clear what's, yeah. what, what freedom means. But it's a weird thing, isn't it, that we're still talking about this. When I was a very young man, women's lib was everywhere and everybody went, yep, yeah, that makes sense. 
and I can't remember many people saying, no, 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 I think it's, well, no, come on, it's ridiculous. Why should women should be second-class citizens? We should pay them less. They should all just sit in the home. You know, we don't really need them to join in the conversations because all us men can make all the decisions. Mm. Nobody was saying that, and yet that prevails. Yeah, I mean, the cultural attitudes that go back such a long time. The patriarchy is very, very ingrained in a lot of people. Mm. Um, and I think that is the... We and we we all assume that progress is progress and we'll keep moving in the right direction. But I think all the liberation struggles that we've seen in recent sort of decades have all seen a, a period of backlash. And and you know, that can always tip over into outright oppression again. And mm. we always have to be on our guard against that kind of thing. Yes, there is an enormous amount of pressure on particularly young girls, I think. The sort of pressure I remember when I was at school, which is that people won't fancy you if you're clever. <laughs> it's an astonishing statement, but it was made many times. These things, you know, they're very ingrained in the culture and people don't realise how sort of pernicious they can be and and, and will pass on folk wisdom along those lines. It's, yeah, it's not only that, it's advertising, it's product placement, all that sort of thing. The whole thing is pushed towards the most important thing you can do is to try to look attractive, not be brilliant or make your own way in life, all those sort of things that women should be doing and are probably often more capable than men of doing. Yeah, no, there's some extraordinary stories. I mean, we're, we're, we're often telling um, stories of past struggles now in culture and there's there's been um, some really interesting stuff recently about um, football, the fact that women were banned from playing football for no good reason, no. having sort of taken over the football clubs during, I think, the, I'm trying to remember the history now, during, I think, the First World War, we had to, we had to you know, like like in League of Our Own, we had to fill the football stadiums because the men were, men were off. It proved far too popular. So the, the FA just decided one day that they were not going to have women's football and banned it. Mm. And because the FA controls all the grounds, it meant, meant that women's teams that genuinely existed and had a following suddenly had nowhere to play. And, and then there's these astronauts as well. So there's like a whole band of women who were amazing sort of test pilots and 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 just great at all of the things. Went into when they were developing an astronaut program and and proved really good at like withstanding high G's and and keeping their spatial awareness when they were under pressure. And mm. and for, for no good reason they went no, we're not having women astronauts. Like just halfway through, they went no. No. All of you, doesn't matter about your test scores, you are out. We're just going to have men, please. And yet, do you feel hopeful, though? Because you read about these things, well, I do, and I, I'm shocked by it. Just recently I read that still over 95% of all CEOs in this country are men. Yeah, I mean... How has that happened? Women are still held to much higher standards than men. You you, you come into... I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a woman in a leadership-type position, and, mm -hmm. and you come into those positions with far more question marks, far more questions to answer than, than a man would. Someone will take one look at someone and say, he seems all right, he looks like a leader, so therefore we'll give him a leadership job, whereas women have to answer every single one of the questions right before we are allowed to be in those positions. Mm. Um, I'm not trying to personalise this, but someone like Rory Stewart is a really good example <laughs> of somebody <laughs> who people just go, yes, he speaks okay and, and he fits the bill and don't really ask a lot of questions about his experience or abilities before ascribing him like expert status. Whereas yeah. someone like me or um, the new leaders of the Green Party, they've got 
they've got to get absolutely everything right. Uh, Theresa May was treated abominably. I'm not going to yeah. comment on Liz Truss because genuinely, how hopeless. But Well, you um, would say, but it does occur to me. I mean, and I think when she first was elected, she was immediately ridiculed because she didn't have great sort of um, presentation skills or any of those. She hadn't really developed those things. But she was ridiculed instantly by the press. Mm. We put up with Boris Johnson, a man who can't speak. Yeah. Who's described as a great orator because he actually occasionally makes a good joke. He recycles every one of those jokes. I know. They're not even original. And it's astonishing. And yet people are now saying, bring back Boris in great numbers because he went to the right school. He's the right sort of chap. And everybody describes him as incredibly intelligent. But I don't think doing your prep makes you intelligent. And I don't think he did a lot of that. No, he he wings it entirely. It's that classic thing where if you've got a a quick mind, you feel like you can just revise everything at the last minute without Mm. seeking deeper understanding. And you can can tell by listening to him, he doesn't have a deep understanding of anything. No. Not because he can't, because he can't be bothered. And that... That's like in his school reports way back as well. That's not me just making that up. No. But it absolutely permeates the way he works. I mean, that's, I really don't want to talk about him too much because I'm hoping that by the time this is broadcast, this will be over and he will not come back. It might all be over. We'll all be gearing up for an election. Yes, we might be in the middle of a general election and that'll be much better. Yeah. I didn't introduce this item hoping to talk about him. No, no, I'm sorry. But The Handmaid's Tale, I mean, Margaret Atwood is one of our greatest writers. She's absolutely superb. Her imagination is Mm. incredible. The whole whole range of the books that she's written, some of them are really like small and intimate stories with just amazing characters in. But the more dystopian things she's written, the range of the imagination, the fact that she takes these jumping off points from things that are really happening in the world and, and creates a whole future out of them that's genuinely plausible is just, yeah, she's absolutely great. Mm. Are you a big reader? Because you didn't study English at university or anything, did you? No, I was I was a scientist. I did an engineering degree, studied material science, which is loads of fun. I've always read a lot. I actually, I, I sort of tried to do English at A-level as well as all the scientists, but the, the teachers were against that. But they let me do theatre studies, which um, I was really happy with because that meant, you know, I mean, obviously reading plays are shorter, I think was the right, was the reason it I had to read lots of plays. At least they're not as long. Um, so I, yeah, I did, I did that <laughs> as an A-level and really, really enjoyed it. And also like joined in the youth theatre and things like that. Did you act at Oxford? No, no. Cause I, I got quite into the sort of back end stuff within theatre and I was one of the few people who could operate lighting boards so <laughs> at Oxford I was dragged into being the lighting person on lots of productions oh, which brilliant. was really nice actually yeah. yeah I just you know I turned up and just plug in all the lights and and do nice things you know to get nice effects and, and all that kind of thing lovely but I, I did a you know, tiny bit performing I'm not very good at acting um and I, you know, I'm not going to denigrate your profession. <laughs> no. But I, no, I struggle with not being myself. That whole idea of inhabiting another character, I've never been able to manage to do that properly. Mm. Um, I can perform. I've got the technicals to perform, which is why, you know, I can make speeches and that kind of thing. I can mm. go on a stage and move correctly in the right place. But yeah, the the side of it where you're speaking someone else's words as if they were true, I just can't, just can't <laughs> quite do it. I'm not, I'm not authentic when you're I You're not a natural liar. Then. And I'm, I'm trying not to say that. I know it's a real job and a particular skill, but I can't. It's not. It's just pretending. It. It's just pretending. <laughs> I'm not convincing. <laughs> you can tell in my eyes that I'm just acting, and that's not a good. That's not a good actor. You know. What I mean? <laughs> okay. Well, let's put in the handmaid. Handmaid. See, I can't act either. 
The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood goes in as your third item. So we've got two left. We've got one that you want to put in because you want to keep it. I do, yes. And we've got one that you want to get rid of. Yes. So the thing I want to keep is this, which I'm going to just show you. Um, It is a notebook that is my grandma's recipe book. Oh, brilliant. And so this is, she did this for each of us. I've got two sisters and she did this. So she she wrote her own recipes on this notebook and gave us each a copy. And oh. it's not recipes as in like, she's not a chef. These are the things she cooked for us that we liked. <laughs> so really normal stuff. So the one, the one I've got in front of me is meat pie. Fabulous. <laughs> and this is quite literally the first ingredient a tin of stewed steak from Marks and Spencer's only. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the meat pie she used to make us when we went to stay. It was my grandma Joyce, my mum's mum. So we went to stay at her house quite a lot. She came to live in Cheltenham with us and um, we liked this. So yeah. here is how to make it. How thoughtful though, because actually people occasionally say, oh, this is nice. It's almost as good as my Auntie Mary's yeah. suet pudding or something. And yet you never can quite get back to those things because you don't know what they did. But you do. Yeah. So this one, treacle toffee. Amazing. I don't know if you've had treacle toffee. Yes. You can buy it from like those old fashioned sweet shops, but it's not the same as this. And I have the recipe. (laughs) Is it quite bitter then, that treacle? It's got vinegar in it. Yeah. Ah, It's got quite a bit of vinegar. It's unusual, isn't it? Yeah. It's really, really nice. Your grand, what did she do? Oh, she, she worked for a long time for like a technical company. Right. She was in the RAF in the war did driving for the RAF. So mm. she's, yeah, she's very cool. And then she met my granddad, who was a RAF officer there as well. So that's that's how she got married. But they, yeah, they got divorced afterwards. He wasn't a very good husband. <laughs> he was dashing. Yeah, very dashing. Think <laughs> Prince Philip. <laughs> my grand's absolutely wonderful. And she, so, so being divorced, she, she, she carried on working for, for quite a while in, in her life. And um, yeah, just was a really, a really amazing person. Um, so she was 83 when she died. And right up until the last minute, she was working for the local charity, the local cancer unit, making Christmas cards for them every year and doing very craft and it just never never didn't do something useful no those people who never quite accept that they're getting older or or there are some people who at sort of 55 say well i can't really do these things because i'm I'm getting a bit old now and other people go well i'm just going to go and um, do somebody's garden then i've got to do the shopping for mrs johnson over there and you go hang on a minute they're all 10 years younger than you yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's 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 totally a culture, I think, in my family. My mum and my sister are both like that. <laughs> I'm not quite as proactive as that, but I obviously I've I've taken on public service, so it's a similar culture. Yeah, I think so. Well, how sweet of her to, to write it out three times though. Yeah, no, exactly. It's all written out. I'm trying to think what else is. Oh yeah, the Christmas cake is labelled very good. Thank you, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> There's a hell of a lot of lard in this though, I have to say. Right. Okay. So you're not vegetarian? No, not quite. No, not quite. Uh, to be fair, I don't. I don't make the, the meat pie. No, <laughs> hardly at all ever. I'm not vegan. Um, I eat a lot of meals that are vegan. Even so, I've taken up tofu. Thank yes, I am <laughs> tofu eating. <laughs> Tofu's great. Tofu's really nice. It is, isn't it? If I order a Chinese meal now, the first thing I order is tofu. It's really nice. Yeah, all the Chinese and Thai food that you can get that you're into is 
better with toffee than it is with like beef or chicken, definitely. Mm. But again, that's another change in the world that is almost certainly going to happen, isn't it? That, that the amount of meat that we consume just will reduce automatically. It has to be done. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then it is all about moderation. You know, there mm. are there are sustainable ways to raise animals in mixed farming. I mean, if there's a different ethical question about whether you think it's ethical to, to eat animals, but yeah. um, but not on, a, not on a large scale. You know, it has to be a, on, you know, on occasion um, and we have to find other proteins. Yeah. Luckily, there are good ones. <laughs> there's loads of them not many of them mentioned in your grand's cookery book you should publish it you should put it on the internet let people have a look it's not that exciting but it is literally the way she did it so it comes out just the same and that's that's the important thing like her welsh cakes they're different uh, you know what i mean they're like welsh cakes but they're hers like the treacle toffees brilliant okay so we've got the one final thing to put in sean so the final thing is the thing I never want to see again. Is that correct? Yeah. I think I'd like to be buried from the world and taken out of the world altogether. Yes. Brilliant. So I'm going for zombie road schemes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Explain yourself. Right. In my old job, I was a road campaigner. And what I found myself doing, this is in the 2010s. And so the Conservative and Lib Dem government were, that were coming in at this point. And what I spent my time doing was trying to stop them reviving road schemes like bypasses and link roads and extra motorways and things like that that had been thought of before and abandoned. So if you remember the 1990s, there was a big road building programme started in 1989. Thatcher made a speech saying we're going to have the biggest road building programme since the Romans and hundreds of roads were put forwards and drawn on maps and plans were made. And then most of them, there was a lot of protests. People realised that there was an environment to protect. Um, most of them didn't get built, even under the Conservatives. And then in 1997, the John Prescott, lovely John Prescott's integrated transport programme plan, just went, no, that's a ridiculous idea. The rest of them will go in the bin now. Mm. However, because plans had been drawn up, because there were lines on maps, because people had in their minds these links and extra things... They came back every so often. The government would want to do something to show it was doing something and somebody <laughs> would manage to push in front of them the, the zombie road plan and they'd be revived. And so I spent my time fighting against those. And this is why we called them zombie road schemes because mm. they should have died a long time ago and somehow <laughs> they've come back to life. So if we can just like destroy and hide all the previous plans, that would be great. Even in London, I'm currently trying to stop the current mayor from putting a tunnel, a road, new road tunnel under the Thames in East London that, if you look closely, is basically an extension of the Ringways plan from donkey's years ago. Ah, uh, yeah. This is by Blackwall Tunnel, one of the inner ring roads. Right. So not the M25 is the outer ring, you mm. see. That's one of the ringways. And then inside you've got the North and South Circular and there's like a little gap in the North and South Circular and it's right there. And this is... I can't believe this has been revived when building more roads creates more traffic. Always, always, always. Always does. And always gets used to its capacity and beyond the moment it's built. Within minutes, mm -hmm. yeah. When they doubled the Blackwall Tunnel, there was more than double the amount of traffic within, I think, one year. It's just... <laughs> and now they still want to build Silvertown and they're planning the Lower Thames Crossing, which is, again, another link between um, the North and South Thames. It has to stop and it's a complete waste of money and concrete. Mm -hmm. So let's just hide the plans from everybody. Okay. So they can't revive them. Yeah, so <laughs> they can't say, that. oh, hang on, could you just do this little one here? You know, just the one that goes around Cheltenham. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, don't say that because that is actually right near where the woodland, back to the beginning, that woodland 
just to the west of there, they are planning one of these roads that people thought of ages ago and gave up on. That is happening mm. right through, a, you know, a lovely, pristine bit of Cotswolds. Yeah, tragic. And it won't do any good, not in the end. No, no, it won't. All oh, right, OK, absolutely. I'm going to take them all. I've got them here. I've got them all. And I'm going to shove them into the time. Every single That's it. I'm not going to show anyone. To I may well just put them in there and drop a match in. If that's all right with you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That'll make my life a lot easier in future as well. <laughs> Gives you more spare time to do some cookery from your grand's book. Lovely. Sean, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. I knew I would agree with almost everything you said, and I'm delighted to have you on. The- I'm honestly honoured to be asked because you haven't had a politician on before, and it's just, yeah, it's great to see that you've done that. And to invite me that's just I'm honestly honoured it's great no no they're going to have to work very hard to be as good as you I love the fact that you've come on here and you've said what you think and you've said what you believe and that's the important thing and I wish more politicians would do it excellent thank you very much sorry I was quite political but you know you asked me (laughs) no I'm delighted (laughs) thank you you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me Mike Fenton-Stevens and my guest Sean Berry. Thank you to Sean for being such an interesting and honest guest. Unlike me, you may not agree with her, which is your right, and indeed what she would want. A debate with the aim of reaching a consensus. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Anyway, if you do disagree and have made it all the way to this point in the podcast, then give yourself a pat on the back. We need more people in the world like you. Feel free to rate this podcast and maybe on some podcast players, review it. Then we'd be delighted if you'd subscribe. Then you'll also have new episodes as they arrive, instantly available on your podcast app. Please do follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook and feel free to get in touch with us that way. We're keen to hear from you, telling us the things you've enjoyed or the things you think we could improve. And of course, suggestions for people you'd like to hear on the podcast. You can download or stream the theme tune called the My Time Capsule Theme Tune, catchy, eh, on Spotify. It was written and performed by Past the Peas Music. This cast-off production for Acast was produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right, your choice, one of my jokes or one of Gary Delaney's jokes. Remember, he's a great stand-up. Oh, you fools! Gary's joke was, my scouse friend claims her cousin is the Prime Minister of Canada. I'm not sure if that's true, though. And mine is, as an actor, I'm a matinee idol. I don't work very hard in the evening shows either. You see, what a stupid choice to make. Still, I appreciate your loyalty. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 